I want to kind of start off a little different than I usually do, because you've kind of done two things very significant. New York Times bestselling author and Grammy award winning artist played in the in the realm of writing in two different capabilities. And I wanted to, to know what's what's more difficult to do, write a book or create a really amazing album? That's a good question. I, I would probably say I probably say the album is more difficult because it involves more moving pieces. You it involves collaboration. You know, that always stretches you because you got to work with other people. They're pushing you with a book. It's kind of like you write, they look at it. They say, man, here's some thoughts about some edit changes. You go back. But with an album, one song can have 50 changes on it. And then, mm. you know, just so many different things. And then I think there's an emotional connection when you write in music too, that this is a lot different from writing a book. Do you feel like you have to be in a certain, because writing an album, it seems like you have to be in a certain mindset set right in life you can't just like write an album when somebody tells you to write an album right like it, it, it's, it, it seems like it has to come organically you know where a book mm -hmm. is more it's maybe about a lot more time to tell a story right or tell sort of your life story in a book and then the album is kind of like that part of the time in your life right so it's like right. it, does that make it the process different right because when you're writing the album, you're kind of looking at maybe your mental state at the moment, right? You're not maybe dwelling on the past as much. Yeah, and it is a different type of creativity. Like I remember I've written both on tour, right? But I remember going on tour and taking this big isolation booth with me and microphone and setup and all that type of junk. And um, you know, you get off the road, you you get off the stage. I, I jump off the stage, I go back to the bus and I start trying to record, or I'm like in a green room. You know, we were in like um, amphitheaters and stadiums and stuff. And it'd be like, I'm going into a locker room or something trying to record. And it is just, I'm not in my zone. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just not in my in my space. So it's kind of like I'm I'm just saying words. Right. Versus the book, I'm sitting on a bus just talking about stuff that happened. Right. It's a little different. It's a little different. I wanted yep. to go back to the journey, man. And like, what do you remember following falling in love with music? Like, do you remember like the first time you actually like fell in love and, or did you fall in love with writing first, right? Were you just like writing stuff and then the music came after that or was music first and then you started to learn how to, to write in, in different ways? I, you know, my mom was always playing music. She played music around the clock. So I remember just loving music, you know, even as a little kid, she's like sweeping the floor, you know, listening to like old school Stevie Wonder and and then my mom was relevant too so she would like I like I remember when Snoop Dogg's album dropped she was bumping it so it was like I'm a kid but I still <laughs> get to listen to this because my mom likes it you know what I mean so yeah. so for me it was like I was just always around it so it's always a part of our world like if we're in a car if we're in a house everywhere you go is this music and she cleaning up every weekend playing music so I was just exposed to it and then I was a latchkey kid. I think when I really fell in love with, with rap music was being a latchkey kid, coming home from school, sitting in front of the television every, I, would, I wouldn't watch cartoons. I would watch mm -hmm. rap videos mm -hmm. like all day long after school. That's all I would do is watch rap videos. And so I think that's really when I, I was just like, man, this is this is a world I want to be a part of. What were, do you remember that era? Like what were the videos playing that you remember? Oh yeah, it was, I mean, you know, 90s. So the 90s, just like 
like I said, like Snoop and Wu Tang and um so Nas, oh, so so really good Nas era. Nas, Nas era, yeah. Yeah, all of that. It was like that whole time period of just like, you know, and I'm just glued to the television. Like, wow. I remember watching the Nas Street Dreams video, like, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, that was that was a that was a man that was a different era, man. That was that that was a crazy crazy time. I remember the first album I bought was Bone Thugs and Harmony East 1999, right? Yeah. And it was like it, it was such a weird first album to buy, but you know it was just like Crossroads was number one in the world, right? I mean that's like when the peak of music at that time, right? It was Crossroads, right? And it was just like and then you had like where I was at No Limit, like the whole No Limit start started to really really just erupt and, and that's the the moment in time when i fell in, started to really like listen to music in a different way right mm -hmm. but i wanted to to know coming from that sort of era there wasn't really any like christian hip-hop right the genre sort of wasn't or like gospel you know hip-hop i mean obviously in the churches you have gospel and you have uh singers right that took that path but there was not really hip-hop back then right like that, that that genre even existed that i can really remember I think people were making it, but it wasn't like accessible. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Cause I hear about folks doing stuff locally. Mm -hmm. Like my like when I go when I meet people, they'd be like, Yeah, man, I was doing it like back in 1982 mm -hmm. in my block. And I was like, Oh, that's crazy. I didn't I didn't know about it. So I hear about those stories, but I I don't think it was like accessible. It's not like, where would you find it? Or how would you know? I don't know where you would get it from. Right. And, and I, I wanted to ask that because how how did you do decide i guess to to go that route and, and i'm not saying it was like a like a marketing decision right it was just like yeah. if you're gonna go into like hip-hop at that point when you did it it was not like the thing to do right right when you talk to like when you were gonna come out and do this like did you tell the people in your life like i'm gonna be like a rapper and then like did eyes roll or did you say hey i'm gonna do this but i'm gonna do it in a different way and it's gonna come from this way i must speak about these type of things like, was the initial response negative or positive when you kind of started to tell people this is what you were going to do? I was always known for rapping. And like, even as a kid, you know, I would I started battle rapping and would battle people. So I love battle rapping. I remember just being around the city and like finding ciphers and just mm -hmm. because I felt like, man, I could destroy anybody. And it was just mm -hmm. fun for me. And I loved it. Yeah. And, you know, getting in ciphers and just rapping and just sharpening your skills. One of my best friends in high school was from Brooklyn. So he was telling me like, you be more technical, try this out. He would put me on mixtapes and stuff like that. So I love the art and the skill of it. And I was always a thinker, you know, like I thought about culture. I thought about, you know, justice and like things mm -hmm. like that mattered to mm -hmm. me. So like, I really love Tupac uh, because he was like, you know, he would say some powerful heart provoking yeah. stuff. And what happened for me was I started probably around 17. I just started to question spirituality and started processing it. And I was just writing poems about what mm -hmm. I was processing, but not like raps. And probably in 19, I, I had a literal spiritual transformation where it was like, yo, I see the world different. And it just so happened that I was in Atlanta at a conference and I saw a group of guys who were Christian rappers. Now, on the way to Atlanta, you know, I was investigating spiritual stuff. I didn't really know I was investigating Christianity. Yeah. I didn't really, and they were playing their music on the way to Atlanta. And I was like, it's cool, but I really wasn't, you know what I mean? But it was different when yeah. I saw them in person. And I was like, oh, y'all are really part of hip hop culture. So mm -hmm. it was like, I could see myself being like them. So they, they set uh, a precedence for me, like, 
to like feel like, oh, I can talk about this stuff I'm learning spiritually and it and put it in rhyme form. And it's like a it's a thing. And so if I hadn't have seen them, I don't think I would be where I'm at today. Who was who was that? Was it a group? Yeah, it was cross movement. The group okay. cross movement. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so seeing them in person, baggy jeans, they had to, <laughs> I think back then, like South Pole and stuff like it was just like, oh, <laughs> I mean, you know, classic like early 2000s era bandanas, do-rags, like throwbacks. And I was like, wow, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know you could be like that, but talk about this, so. Shout out to the South Pole reference as well. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the, the, the <laughs> thing that struck me kind of kind of looking over things and, and, and reading parts of the book was, you know, obviously I think that the title is super striking. How I Lost My Religion, but found, well, the subtitle, How I Lost My Religion, But I Found My Faith. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. You know, mm -hmm. personally, it resonates with me. But I just think in general, in this era, right, this climate of, of the world we sort of live in, I think a lot of people are, are feeling that that way, right? Mm -hmm. well, but what does what does that mean to you? I lost my religion, but I found my faith. We can mm -hmm. ask a thousand different people what that means. They'd probably get a thousand different answers, <laughs> you know? But, but when you hear that, like, what does that mean for you? You know, for me, man, Religion is like trying to earn, like mm -hmm. doing the right things in order to earn love, in order to earn respect, in order to earn approval. Mm -hmm. And um, I think religion is, it's, it's okay to, to follow rules. There's nothing wrong with following rules, but the motive for following the rules is the problem. So when your motive is to be accepted, is to be loved, mm -hmm. if you follow these rules, then that's, that's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And so faith is believing that God already accomplished everything for you to be accepted you just have to trust and believe in this reality and it, that takes faith is that faith like yo I, you love me but i'm a disaster <laughs> but you already paid for me to have this relationship with you so i just got to believe that that's that's faith because all of us are religious that's just the way we are we're just a religious you know it's like sports trains you to be religious if you just do these things you'll make the team and that's mm. just the the mindset so when you come to God it's kind of like that same mindset if you just do these things you'll be accepted or church people will accept you and it's like I'm done with that I'm done trying to prove myself <laughs> how long do you think like you'll have I, I think you'll have the the passion for writing forever right and like I can see you writing four more books but do you see yourself writing like four more albums is it is there a transition that you think might be happening in your life where you might transition to more of this sort of long form writing you know drive you like like maybe writing a book does yeah i think i always make music i don't know about albums mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. i always make songs because they need to be made an album takes a lot of work a lot of heavy lifting yeah. um and then a book is like it just depends on if i have a lot to say you know, mm. if I have a lot to say, then there's definitely a book. So if you're always learning, you always got something to talk about. <laughs> well, there's a there's a ton to talk about in this day and age, right? You know, I'm in I'm in Amsterdam, and, and we're still you know on lockdown, and and the, some parts of the U.S. are opening back up, and, and the world is sort of you know struggling this this past sort of year and a half. How has how has the last year and a half been for you, man? Mentally, spiritually, you know, writing like the process has. What, what do you think has changed in you the last sort of year and a half? Oh, man. I mean, the world is just, you know, it's wild. I think what's been interesting for me the last year and a half is just kind of navigating all the stressors, you know, the mm -hmm. stressors that have been going on 
um, in this world and in my life, you know what I'm saying? And just trying to navigate those well without letting them weigh you down too heavily and just having a healthy way to process it all. Even in, you know, you might be having a nice meal or watching a great show and then you go, it's like, oh, I got to go, go outside and you go outside to run to the store and it's like, oh yeah, everybody's masked up. Right. This is <laughs> reality that we're living in or, you know what I'm saying? You just get hit yeah. with those doses of reality. It's like, oh man. This is crazy. How, how's the the family and and your network around you? Everybody staying safe and healthy through through all this? Yeah, everybody's uh, staying staying healthy. Everybody's good. We're actually fortunate. My mother been able to get vaccinated. My mother in law has mm -hmm. been able to get vaccinated. I'm on my first uh, dose, okay. so I got one more dose left, and then I'm vaccinated. So that's a cool. That's a, been a cool aspect of what's going on out here. A big reason, man. I, I really wanted to chat was a lot about what you're sort of doing in the community and just in general, like just trying to do good shit, right? Like just figuring out a way, like we're always, like you said, we're always learning, we're always educating ourselves. And I think that goes for personal growth, but it also to me goes into helping people, right? Like you could get better at that. <laughs> like we could all get better at like finding ways to help and improve other people in our, other people's lives within our network, within our community. So I wanted to talk about Collab Capital and how were you introduced to that? Can you just talk about the journey and why you decided to do that? And maybe tell tell the audience a little bit about what Collab Capital is and what its mission is. So Collab Capital is essentially a fund that is aiming to level the playing field in terms of entrepreneurs and investors in you know the black community. Because mm -hmm. you look at you know impacting your community, a lot of times that is based off of people having the funds to do some of the work that they want to do within the community right mm, so mm -hmm. if you say oh i got this business idea you know i um where i want to i don't know uh do something creative for the school districts mm -hmm. you know as an app right well now you gotta you've gotta get the support for it and unfortunately you know the people with the capital to invest in that probably don't care mm -hmm. about what your, you know, your community or the things that you're trying to do. So you've got to find individuals who have that type of capital. And so what Collab Capital aims to do is to, you know, galvanize and, and grab investors. It's a $50 million fund that wow, has been great. raised in order to distribute it amongst these entrepreneurs and business owners and some of the most ostracized or overlooked, which, you know, in Atlanta, it's black women. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's really just trying to look at them and say, all right, here's a group of them. I mean, it's not exclusive to black women, but we do focus on them mm -hmm. and, um, and just make sure that they have the funds needed to get these ideas off the ground. And so one of the first um, businesses that we helped was Hairbrella and Hairbrella, you know, Tracy Pickett was an attorney and she started this company where she was realizing how much money she was spending on her hair. And, and black women spend on their hair, but then it's like, if it rains, it's like your hair is damaged. So she created this kind of like reinvented umbrella for uh, women's hair, but then she added elements to it, like face shield for- right. I saw uh, that, that was amazing, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so all that to say is that now, you know, her company is, you know, they did $2 million in revenue and she's mm -hmm. able to help out the community and to do things that she otherwise wouldn't be able to do 
because of the investment of collab capital. And it creates local jobs, you know. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the that's the biggest the biggest victory in all this, right? I mean, that that's the thing that changes people's lives, families' lives, generational generations' lives, right? When you Absolutely. start to get that employment and also working for companies that you want to like you like to work for and be proud of where, where you work. Right. It's like everybody wants to work at places where it's like you feel pride in what you do and you love to go to work every day. And your it, skills can be highlighted because yeah, some people 100%. don't get their skills highlighted. Totally. Absolutely, man. You got so many talented people everywhere stuck in jobs they don't want to be because they just don't have the opportunities around them to showcase their skills. But that's why I believe this is so important where you get entrepreneurs in the community because they give back, not not just economically, right? Not just it not just drives like economic growth through like people buying their products, but man, it create if it could create local jobs, bro. That's just it's such a game changer, man. And uh, you know, I, I just man, it, it's amazing what what's coming out of sort of finance and entrepreneurship is the fund just specifically for atlanta or in georgia no. or is it it's everywhere huh it's everywhere yeah, yeah no it's not just in atlanta so there's there's some great companies that um you know another one out of florida uh, called healthy hip-hop mm -hmm. that is um aiming to you know uh, uh the dallas school district has picked it up but it's just like for elementary school kids who gravitate toward hip-hop music but mm -hmm. you know how, how can they learn through it and the music is dope you know what i mean so it's like so did you that, record something for it i i actually well, you do I, you gotta, come on bro you I gotta get on that <laughs> but, my, but some of my young guys some producers that i work with you know they did and i mean they kill it you know yeah, what I mean? so yeah yeah, yeah. So, that's great what's so how was like How'd you get like introduced to them? And like when they talked about the idea to you, were you were you blown away by it? Like what was your first response to it? Hey, have you had other partnerships with with other funds or firms like this? Or is this the first time you're kind of dipping your toe in this water? Yeah. So what it was for me was um my 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 manager at the time was big into funds and investing. Mm -hmm. And um, and he was always trying to expose me to, to a lot of these things, these particular things. And um, and you know, but he was so deep in, I was like, man, I gotta start, I gotta start in the remedial classes, man. I gotta learn what this looks like, you know what yeah, I mean? So yeah. so basically there's a spot in Atlanta called the gathering spot that my man Ryan uh owns, and a lot of you know, it's basically kind of like a, a social house, um, mm -hmm. you know, where where people executives and business people come and they, they can do work and meetings and so on and so forth. And I was in there and I met uh, some different individuals and they said, hey, we're going to have this like meeting of the minds. And it was like me, Cortez Bryant, who, you know, managed Lil Wayne and Drake mm -hmm. for a season and, and some other individuals. And we were all in there just talking and saying, man, how can we synergize more? And that particular meeting, uh, Jewel Solomon Burks, who is uh, one of the founders of Collab, she had sold her company to Amazon mm -hmm. and was looking to start, you know, a fund because she saw how difficult it was, you know, for her with her startup. And she just got absorbed by Amazon after creating something super dope. And, um, you know, we were like, yo, tell us more. And the more she got to talking, the more I said, man, I want to learn like this process, you know, I want right. to learn like, what this whole investment world looks like. And so over the last few years, we just began walking together and I, and I came on as a venture partner and um and it's just been it's been great man it's just been a uh coming across that learning curve and then of course my my man chameleonaire was always schooling me to stuff and i mean i sat yeah, with him yeah. two hours in starbucks and just <laughs> listen talking i was like all right i gotta make some moves 
that would have been a great conversation to be recorded, bro. Like that's, <laughs> oh, that's, the, you know, that's the, that's the kind of stuff that, that people can absorb, man. And just, just learn, like you said, like we all learn in different ways and just sitting in on conversations like that. He's been in it for a while now. Yeah. You know, yeah, I know he just, he just went up, down uh, to Cali and, uh, and took three years off of music and just interned, which mm. that's a testament to how much he wanted to learn. Yeah. Uh, amazing, man. Amazing. I wanted to touch on, on music for a little bit and, and kind of just, you know, the industry and, and you've been in it so long and, and you've seen it take a bunch of different turns right you went from you know price selling physical copies and then you know mm -hmm. all of a sudden Spotify right now it's no mm -hmm. physical copies right mm -hmm. so like when you when you talk to you know kids coming up right let's say 16 17 and, and so on what's the kind of guidance that you try to give them because the game has changed so so much right it's just so drastically different is there is there sort of stuff that you give advice to to, to the young kids coming up that they want to act they want to do music they want that wants to be their career or do you tell them hey use music as another tool to do other things as well yeah i mean i'm always communicating longevity because i don't i don't think a lot of artists realize they have a window you know you're like a professional athlete right, right, you, yeah. a, you know some so there's gonna be some lebrons sure. who can play for forever you know but most of y'all you have a small window you got you got about two three years mm -hmm. and then it's like that's it it's a wrap so you know I, I was telling some young dudes you know they had a big hit uh on a radio and they were killing it we were, we did a little tour and um and i was like yo Y'all got jewelry, y'all, you know, shopping all the time, but but what's what's next? Because right. you got you had a year where you made five million dollars, but that's only that five million dollars is is your earning time period. Like that's all your that's the most you're gonna see. Yeah. And so what are you gonna do 12 years from now? Now you gotta figure out how to make that five million dollar stretch for the next 12 years because right. you're not gonna see that type of money again. Right. But that's the type of stuff I'm always trying to tell them is like, man, you can go. Like I said in my in my uh, project with Zaytoven, let the let the trap say, man. I said you could run out and buy six chains, or you could start a barbershop and expand the six chains. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> and, and it's like that's just the mindset that I, I'm always hoping that they that they pick up. When do you think like touring happens again? Like, what's the kind of conversations right now going on with that? Because I know so many you know people are suffering in the in the music industry because it's not just about the artists; it's about the production people, right? It's about the equipment people. It's about the people who set up the shows. All these people are affected. Not you know not just the people in the studio. Yeah, it's pretty sad, man. I I, I don't I think the music industry was just not looked at with any type of care or regard from the government or, yeah. or different structural yeah. entities. But yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, I think people are trying to make it happen, but of course, a lot of that is is on the venues, you know, cause the venues mm. are, are saying we're not open. Right. And then what's gonna happen is when they decide to open, it's gonna be first, it's gonna be like, who can who can make sure that the tickets get sold? They're not gonna take any chances. So, you know, some of these younger up and coming artists, they're not gonna get a chance to tour mm. because those venues are gonna go first to people who they know can sell it out because they gotta make their money. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, mm -hmm. yo, little Mookie Mook wants to rent out this venue right. um, on a Tuesday night and it holds, you know, a thousand people, but he's probably only gonna get 700 in there. Well, we know that right. Alicia Keys can fill it up, you know, or whoever. You know what I'm right. saying? So right. obviously those are the people who are going to be first on the list. So it's, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough. Um, well, I appreciate you taking the time, man. The, the last question I, I, I usually try to end with is, 
is really about the future and, and kind of what, you know, we're in such a weird time and it could be difficult to answer, right? But when you look, when you look maybe 10, even 20 years down the line, man, like what do, what do you hopefully want to leave behind? Like you've already done so much, right? You've already gave, you know, I always look at music and, and people who are in it and, and, you know, when they can be satisfied, it's like when you gave something back to the industry, right? It's like, you've kind of, you've done that, right? Success, you gave a piece of yourself to music, right? Like that's a fulfilled life. But like, what you know, maybe in 20 years or so, like, what do you want to, you know, hope you leave to to the industry, you know, but also obviously to to the community as well. Like, what do you want maybe your legacy to be defined defined as? Yeah, man, I I, I would hope that people would see that I, I really wanted to let my ceiling be other people's floor. Mm. You know what I mean? I stand on the shoulders of giants who sacrificed a lot. And I want to make sure people are better off in the future because of some of the, the, the trails that I got to blaze, because of some of the, the examples I said. I was a Nipsey Hussle fan of his music, but his efforts in the community really challenged me. And um, and 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 that was before he passed away. You know yeah. what I mean? And so I would hope to inspire people in a way that he inspired me to say, all right, let me go beyond just making these songs and really see transformed communities, transform lives uh, because of what I'm doing. Amazing, my brother. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I know you're busy. I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Best of luck the rest of this year and, and obviously in the future. Appreciate you, bro. Much love to you.